Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, it's Ashley and we are live on Indigenous Fashion, the podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Kansas Middletent. He is here with us. He is Lakota. I'm excited to have him here. Welcome, Kansas. Hey, Ashley. Thank you for having me. I am honored to be on your podcast and looking forward to all the the great conversation. Yeah, I want to dive right in. I know that you have been a model for a while now and actively involved in Indigenous fashion. Tell me about how it works for you right now. So right now, my main role in Indigenous fashion is one of the models. I've been fortunate to model for about six years, starting off at Native Fashion in the City in Denver through Kelly Holmes and the Native Fashion in the City, of course. And then from there, opportunities just begin to present themselves and I just would take them on. And one thing led to another. And next thing, I'm in France meeting you and walking the runway there. Where do you live currently? Me, I currently, I'm from Lower Brew, South Dakota, the Lower Brew Lakota Reservation. I live here with my family and just love being a part of my community. South Dakota, yeah? Yeah, South Dakota. Yeah, which part of South Dakota? Just give me an idea, like the northeast, southwest. Actually, like almost dead central South Dakota. If you think of the Missouri River and you find the big bend in the river, we're literally in the center of that. Okay, beautiful. I'm so excited. And you have a family. Tell me about your family. Yeah, so I have a family. I have a beautiful fiance who is also a model. I share some of her pictures on Facebook as well. I have a 16-year-old daughter who is the model of the family. She's won a Grammy Award with Dope Akara and Redberry Woman for modeling and photography. So she's the star of the family. I got my 15-year-old son, who is a promising football player in the state. He is bigger than me. That's why I'm a pretty decent-sized guy. So he's, he's really a monster. I got my middle child. His name is Jonah. He's six years old. I got a daughter named Sage, who is four. She is super sassy, the boss of the family. And I got a little baby boy, Teton, who's going to be two July 28th. So we kind of keep our, we keep our lives very busy and full. You are amazing. That's amazing. What a great family and what a beautiful legacy that you're leaving for them as you're exploring how it works to be. Have you, what did you do before you modeled? So actually before I modeled, I own my own business, small business. I'm an entrepreneur, but what I do with that is I consult. So I consult with different organizations for indigenous uh, crises, indigenous questions that advocate as well. I consult for education. I consult for marketing and business. 
And then also on top of that, I also go and travel the country as a public speaker, which kind of helped help me get into modeling. Just was at the right show, speaking at some keynote presentations and some workshops that I was facilitating. And somebody came up and was like, hey, do you want to model? And somebody beside me was like, he does. And I was like, I guess I'm modeling. And yeah, so it's a line like that. But I have a background in nonprofit and education and business. And so that's a wide variety of different things. But I wanted to be able to impact and help my community. And those are some of the valuable skills that I thought I needed to know, learn, and help provide. So I took those on and I do a little bit of everything. That's amazing. That's a really deep well of wellness that you're creating for yourself, for your family, for your community, because a lot of people are not feeling well and they don't know how to get help. So tell me a little bit about the public speaking. What do you talk about? What do you, I'd love to hear. Yeah, my public speaking, I have different levels to it. Of course, my levels that I I talk about, I like to try to not be a one hit wonder. So I do, I do keynote speeches where I just come in for a event, a dinner, one, one talk for a good 30, 45 minutes about resiliency, about leadership, about strength and perseverance are some of the things I touch on. I also, so one I just recently came from was parenting. I had a parenting a keynote speech that organization wanted to bring me in because of my standing as a father and how important that is to me. And so I I speak keynotes like that. And then I also go in on the levels part of it. I try to go into schools two to eight times throughout a year. I try to be more involved in a school to try to actually build a leadership development within students, especially Indigenous students or students that are by the diverse students, otherwise low-income students living within poverty, trying to teach them how to navigate those obstacles, those barriers, because it's my life and the story I came from and my upbringing. There's a lot of resilience and stuff. And so I share those. I actually worked it out with one of my great friends that we developed a program and it's really successful through the different schools and areas that we travel. I go speak. I'm gone about three to four times a month away from my family at schools, speaking, putting on workshops. And then on the backside of that, I also do professional development for administrators, for superintendents, for schools to just try to help them work better with diverse students, to try to help them teach better, to try to help them deliver better and just to open up their minds and, and to think about perspectives from a different angle and a different view. Yeah. I appreciate this conversation because a lot of people are nervous to talk about things like this. A lot of, especially people that are in seniority or in positions of power, they don't know how to advocate for themselves to say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to talk about this. Or So tell me a little bit about if someone's listening to this and they want to understand culturally what, how can they make an impact? How can they make a difference in what goes on every day? Because there's people from South Dakota, North Dakota, there's lots of people from Canada listening to this already. And so if they need help, I guess first, how do they reach you? For me to reach me, you can reach me on my social media platforms. My Facebook is Kansas Middle Tent. You can just search me up and it'll pop up. My Instagram is Superman605. And Superman is S-I-O-U-X-P-E-R-M-A-N, 605 for South Dakota, of course. You can you also email me, which is kansasmiddleton at gmail.com, and we can start conversations from there. 
But just reach out to me, send me a DM if you really want to get in touch with me. But if you want to be involved into your local community or community from your area, I would say there's a, a tons of ways to get involved. I would say find an avenue that you want to be involved in, whether if it's education, I would reach out to local schools. They're always looking for resources, for volunteers, for community advocates to just try to get in. And if you're just beginning... I would say get in, volunteer, and fit in where you can. Get to know what you can, ask questions. With me, a lot of the conversations I have with a lot of non-Native people, like you said at the beginning, this first segue into this, you said it's a hard conversation. It really is. People with the eggshells people have to walk on, with the tough questions, with being with cancel culture, with all these variables, people are really guarded and protected and they don't want to say the wrong thing or ask the wrong thing to offend somebody and so for me because I've dealt with a lot of arrogant people a lot of prejudice a lot of racism I'm like I've dealt with a lot of bad situations and people coming at me in bad ways and so when we're in learning environments and sharing and whatnot I'm like you know what this is a safe space for me you cannot offend me as long as it's a question form or you're asking it in a good sincere way because people just don't know and we have to be able to understand that people don't know and it's going to come out a, a certain way. We we all say communication is key, which it is, but we also have to be able to have an understanding of what we communicate and how we can communicate. So I always tell people, no, no wrong questions, no stupid questions. Ask what you're feeling and let's try to figure out if we can solve that and solve that problem or come up with a, a solution or answer for that. Yeah. And it sounds like you've been able to navigate a hard situation as a child. Tell me a little bit about that. Growing up, you grew up where you are right now. Yeah. So actually, I always joke about it with some native humor, but I grew up in many different places. Lower Brew is my hometown. I was actually born in North Dakota in Bismarck. And then my parents at a really young age of mine split up. And my I went with my father over my mother and I lived with her Long story short, a lot of custody battles. I lived in probably 12, 13 different communities before I got to middle school. Went to nine different elementary schools. And the funny say, thing that I like to bring into it is like, I always say, I think my parents were like still trying to be nomadic and we chased the buffalo because I moved <laughs> all over the place. And, but and true. So, Whoa, yeah, what a right? wild life. Yeah. Yes. And actually, at that young of an age, it's really hard to understand, but it was actually beneficial if you can find the positives in life and think about the good things in life from those uncontrolled situations. And from that, it helped give me a better platform in all those communities. I was always an athlete. I was always a great student. I tried to do the best I could. And I always left the impact wherever I went. And growing up in all those different communities I lived, I've have, I have friends in a lot of places, and that's always a great benefit. And it helps get my word out, helps share things that need to be shared throughout Indian country. And, and then also for me, what gave me the advantage was I lived in Indian country and I lived off of Indian country. So I, I was able to live in both worlds, in the Indian world and the, the, the white man's world. And I lived in cities, Chicago, bigger places that were more urban than rural. And I've got to experience quite a bit, but Laura Brew, yes, is my home. And I wanted you to tell that part of your story because that's what gives you the credibility to be able to speak to what you speak to, right? People say, well, what, what credibility do you have? And that just builds a little bit of that for the listener. What people should know is there's another podcast called Wake Up or Die podcast. And we've talked about it a little bit where we really teach people the tools that they need to navigate communication. Because like you said, 
it's one thing to say, great, we need to communicate. Great. Let's all get along. Well, how do you do that? And if you don't know where to start, where do you start? I think there's, it's fair to say that there's a portion of the people who aren't willing. They don't want to understand. They have too much pain to understand. And I think it goes for both sides of the culture in Indian culture and in America or in white men culture. If that's what you call it. I don't, I've never even talked about it from that standpoint. I'm a 37 year old white girl who grew up in Idaho who never knew any different. Like I called it native Americans my whole life. I loved the native American people. I, and I did my first sweat though about six months ago and my whole life changed again. And I've done a lot with them now, but I realize now what love is in a different way, right? Being enveloped in the earth and understanding that love is different than I thought it was, is such a powerful experience. Are you, do you sweat? Do you do those kind of ceremonies? Talk to me about that. Yeah. So I sweat. I do a nipi with my relatives. And yesterday it was unfortunate. I missed our summer solstice in nipi, but my prayers were with them. I had family things to take care of and family always first. But yes, I, I do ceremony. I am part of a circle. I haven't actually sun danced myself because there's protocol to it. There's there's visions, humblesha, there's a process. And in reality of it, my process didn't begin yet. I wasn't given my vision and I wasn't given my, in a sense, my my protocol, my rights to do it yet. And so I, but I support it. I'm into my Native American culture. For me, when I talk about two worlds, our Native lifestyle and non-Native lifestyle, it's, I always try to talk about it in a good way and never try to cause division. But for us, for me especially, it's two worlds that you live in and do different life lives Tell not seeing that I'm, a little I'm, bit more about the indian life though for people so that they can understand how it's yes. different indian lifestyle just from yes. your observation yes but just with the historical trauma and stuff we have a lot of a lot of lack of resources we have we literally say it there's a barrier around us that keeps us here and it's hard for us to have different, our land is in trust. We can never, if we own land, we can never use it, utilize it to build houses on it, to use it for business, to use it for farming or such because of the process that the government BIA has over us. But if we sold it to a non-native, they can start doing anything they want with it right off the bat. There's a lot of different issues that have in native communities, we struggle with the highest rates of poverty, the lack of resources. And one thing I share this quote often just to inspire my followers and to remind those native people that follow me or that look up to me or that I can influence that, that live on reservations, that the reservation never lacked talent. We only lacked resources. And that's a reality. We have some of the worst, I hate to talk so bad about it, but we have some of the worst health rates because of the food deserts we live in. For me, the nearest grocery store is a 40 mile drive one way to get healthy food. So the nearest Walmart's 60 miles. And so for us, it's really hard to live a healthy lifestyle. We have a small gym here. We have limited resources, limited jobs, things that just make it hard. And so for me, I found success doing my own things and also using my education. I was just got to throw it out. There. I was a valedictorian when I graduated high school. I went to college on a football and basketball scholarship and academic scholarships. And I was also a Gates Millennium Scholar and a presidential scholar in high school as well. And I went to school without any worry, any financial burden, and just did what my grandmother, who primarily raised me, asked me to do and was to go out, learn, experience, come home and try to help your community be better. What a beautiful quote to put all over the world is that, right? Go out, learn and come back and help your community be better. It's a hard conversation, Kansas. I 
have had a lot of tears learning about all of the sad things that I don't know about. And one of those things that I'm just really now curious about even more is, so you say that like the nearest Walmart 60 miles, but they can't, you can't build a Walmart in Indian territory or how does it work? Explain to me why that is that way and why your people aren't helping you too. Like I see a lot of money with just, this is my observation, right? So there's like a, a casino and this casino brings in money. How come that money doesn't help your people? Just questions. Okay. Yeah. Great, great question. Real quick. We'll get to the Walmart or corporate kind of stuff. The reason why Walmart and other corporations, it's always been talked about, but corporations, because tribes have tribal sovereignty, we're practically our own nations with our own government, with our own laws. We still have to abide by federal laws and state laws and stuff, but we also have tribal laws. So it's really a layered kind of approach and a lot of which laws do we abide by. Whenever corporates come in, they have to abide by tribal laws. And tribal laws are a lot different than federal regulation, federal laws, state laws. And so sometimes it's not as black and white as some of the corporations want or Walmart wants. Or we can choose to have certain things our way. And if the ball, if Walmart ain't liking some of our stipulations, our protocol, or our laws or stuff, they're like, nope, I'm pulling my entire corporate project from you guys. And so they, because they, in, in a sense, I hate to even say it like this, but if any bad business was conducted, they wouldn't go to the state law in South Dakota. They wouldn't go to a federal law. They'd come to tribal law. And they, I hate to say it like this as well, but you, they wouldn't be able to manipulate the system as easily as they they do by throwing money around. And Because you guys abide by a much fairer system, I yes. would think. And it's just a little different with all the different laws and codes and resolutions and such. And so they're not protected as much as they want to be protected. And so that's the biggest reason right there. And so for us, with most of the casinos going to the casino question, for us, you know, we have a small casino here, but it, once again, it goes into politics here. We have land over by Chamberlain right off of I-90, and it's a big tourist attraction. We've been for years, as far back as I can remember, been trying to build and upgrade our casino there. But Chamberlain community and the state of South Dakota won't grant us our licensing, won't grant us our space, won't grant us the things we need. The town won't give us a permit to start building and stuff because the reality of it is they think that natives are going to come and ruin their communities. They think that natives are going to come and cause chaos. They think that natives are going to overtake the community and live in all the houses and take up all the jobs, which, you know, if we come off, if we, no matter what, we're still, we're federal. So we have to abide by OSHA and equal opportunity employment and such. And so there's just things that they are holding us back from creating a bigger casino for us. So for now, our casino is on the reservation, which if you think of casinos that are in right in the heart of reservations, they don't do too well because of the stereotypes and the stigma of non-natives wanting to come to the res. Most people, when I grew up with friends and they came to the res in high school for the first time and they had the time of their life, the thing they said to leaving was, it's nothing like I expected. I thought I was going to get beat up. I thought people weren't going to like me. I thought this, I thought that. I'm like, where do you hear this stuff? And they're like, gossip like stereotypes yeah we understand it but they have all that they think they, they think that they're gonna get their cars broken into and we have we have all these good protocols like anybody else but there's a lot of layers to it and so for us our casino we don't get no money off of it and we're as far as i understand it we're just barely staying afloat with our casino because one of the reasons is we're a dry reservation so we don't allow alcohol on our reservation and so we can't serve it to the out 
outsiders and they want to come and gamble and drink and stuff. And so it takes away that whole little feel and vibe that people are looking for. I didn't know you were a dry reservation. How many reservations are dry? I honestly can't answer you that. I know I think the, I know for sure Lower Brew is and Pine Ridge, Oglala is dry. I couldn't tell you any other ones, but most of them aren't dry. And if in it was Wyoming, up- we have some really bad problems, even in Idaho, but Wyoming's really severe. In the Riverton Lander area, the Wind River is like all of that stuff is heartbreaking sometimes because I can't, how do you help someone, right? How do you help? How do you help a woman that is in trouble or a man that's in trouble or a child that's in trouble? And what should someone do? <laughs> that's like a real question. Oh, and that's something that I really wish I had answers for because I try to do everything I can in my power to give support, to not enable, to really know the fine lines and boundaries of what enabling is and what support is. And for me, that question, I deal with that question in my life every day. What do I do? The reality of my life is that I have so many here living on the reservation. I do have relatives that struggle with alcoholism. And and it's sad to see them that way. It's sad to see some of my best friends I went to high school with already falling into that cycle. And do I love them still? Yes. Do I give them the time of the day? Yes. But I'm not hanging with them every day. I greet them. I acknowledge them. I help them with the small things I can. If they're hungry, I'll give them some food. I'll try to buy them something like that. But one of the, it's not just my friends. I just had a conversation earlier with one of my good videographer friends and was talking about some projects and we just got sidetracked on something. And he asked about my dad building something. My dad's an awesome crafter. He makes willow furniture, all this amazing things. Just a great man. And he fell into a meth addiction and meth has taken his life for the past 10 years and I'll never get my dad back the superhero I grew up with in my eyes and he's just a different man people ask me sometimes they ask me how's your dad doing I'm like I haven't seen him in in so long I don't hear from him often he don't come around too much and when he does come around it's only to ask me for money to help this and that and most times he knows that I don't help him so he don't waste his time to come see me but when I do see him, we do spend a little time, but it's that million dollar question on how can I help him? How can I, what can I do? And it just leaves me stuck every single day. This is a really powerful conversation because people feel this way, right? This this feeling that you have inside of your body, right? That lives inside of you. We have to learn how to figure out how to get tools to help ourselves deal with these things. And I see that you're helping people in your community and that's kind of your cathartic way of feeling well, right? Pointed in the direction of wellness, teaching your children that your beginning doesn't have to be your ending and that where you're at doesn't have to be where you're going. And that's a powerful way to do it. I'm sorry that's going on. And that drug is something that our country and unfortunately part of our government has allowed to continue to really infest our land and create really big, sad sores on our, uh, for the people. And that's It's a reflection of the, I think more than anything, just the idea that everyone's ignorant. Nobody really knows what's going on here and we don't really know why we're all here. And that kind of leads me to the reason that we're having this podcast, right? It's called indigenous fashion because we explore how do you bring ceremony into your life if you don't even know what ceremony is and growing up on the res, growing up with a superhero dad, and then having this happen and having these things happen. What is a way that you cultivate resiliency inside of yourself every day? How do you keep your levels of energy up? For me, so that's a really great question. And I love that. To me, a lot of people don't 
really think about this too much and they only use it when they're in need. And me and my fiance yesterday, we had a great conversation about kind of this, but it's the power of prayer. Not just prayer when you need it, but prayer when you're thankful, prayer when, you know, just for the simple things and having faith. I know people probably say that sounds so cliche, but I've been through so many things, bad things in my life, and I've always been able to overcome by really praying and having faith. And that's something my grandmother instilled in me, not through much through a Native American aspect, through the church. But when I got older, found my connection, it just happened more through my Native American connections and our heritage and our culture when I was finally able to grasp grasp that. And for me, every day, my strength, my strength, yeah, my strength, my medicine is really my family. It's it's my kids. It's So I'll tell you why, too. And it's this story. When I was growing up, I was about a third or fourth grader, and my dad came home. He was intoxicated one time. And for whatever reason, I have a twin brother as well. And so for whatever reason, I don't know if he had a bad night at the bar, what happened, but he came home really violent, angry. He ended up abusing my twin brother and I slapped us up. And it was actually pretty bad. We were able to attend school for about two weeks. And I remember that night, my grandmother having to protect us. And I remember that night just holding my twin brother and uh, thinking, thinking in my head, like, why am I going through this? What did I do wrong? Thinking of all these different things as that young of a kid and just wondering. And I also remember like later on thinking, you know what, when I become a father and I was a, like I said, third or fourth grader, I thought when I become a father, I was, my kids are never going to feel unloved. They're never going to feel what I'm feeling right now. They're never going to have to deal with the things that I'm dealing with. They're never going to have to have this feeling. And I remember like saying that to myself and crying and everything. And fast forward, I became a young dad. So I'm 34 years old right now. My daughter is 16 years old, sweethearts. And and when she was born, I held her and I got to cut the umbilical cord and I got to hold her. The doctor handed her to me. And in that moment, I always used to hate when my mom told this story. But when I held my daughter, I had just tears rolling down my eyes. And honestly, I can think back on that moment and I can remember that thought I had when I was a third, fourth grader came right into my mind. And it was like a promise. And I remember like saying it to her and I was like, promise my daughter. I was like, I'm going to give you the best. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to try my best. And I'm never going to make you feel these feelings, you know, what I felt. And you're going to be loved and you're going to be all this. And I was like, that's my main goal in life now is to be a father. And so from there, I found my strength. I found through all my tough times in life and the moments where you feel if you're doing enough or if community impact that you want or the things you're doing is enough. My kids are, when I'm tired and broke down, I just look at my kids and I think of that thought and I think of that dream and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to be this not perfect dad, but I'm going to be a present dad. I'm going to be a dad that's here and I'm going I'm to do this. And I'm gonna, and then don't get me wrong, though, in, in the line of work that I do and the community work and the things my family and I, we choose to do because we choose this. It's our choice to do the things we do. It, it's hard. And at times it makes me cry. I do break down as a man and I just want other men to know that it's OK to not be OK and that you can have moments of what you think is weakness, but it's really strength. We need to be able to release and let go and, and just be able to fill our feelings so that way 
we can move forward because that's one thing that recharges me is being on the road. I get to sometimes be by myself. I travel a lot by myself, actually. But when I'm driving, I get that moment to have my thoughts and I get the moment to decompress and I get moments to, if I was sad in a moment, I get to feel that that sadness. And deep down, that's healing for me and that's medicine. And it makes me stronger. Um, not just the sadness, but all the emotions, the happiness, the laughs, all these things. And I get to take a moment to slow down and be like, okay. And thinking about, the life my fiance and I created for my family, it's always, it's a beautiful thing. And when I share with people, I always like, so I shared with the group I shared with this last week, this past, what was it, Monday, maybe Tuesday, I went to a community event with about 800 people in a different reservation, about four hours away from me. And I did my parenting talk and I told them, I said, I live my dream every single day. I said, people think I'm living my dream because I get to act in, in movies or I get a model who all the places I get a model. I'm, I get to travel and public speak and be at conferences and mingle with people. They think that's my dream. I'm like, you guys, my dream is so much more simpler than that. This is that's the plus to my dream. That's the goodness that comes along with being kind and being trying to have a good heart and trying to help. I said, that's what comes back to you. But my dream, I said, is Every day I wake up and I get to be a father to my kids and I get to be a good man to my woman and I can try to be better than I was yesterday. And for that's my dream. That's the things I didn't have growing up. It's the things that I get to live every single day in my own house with my kids having two parents with it, the material things don't really matter. But being able to walk into a store and buy my kids a piece of clothing that they want or something material that they want without not having money for that or not having window shopping or giving false promises. For me, that's why I say I get to live my dream because I worked, my wife works, my fiance we work for the life that we're able to live right now. I love that. She's your fiance. When are you like, I edit these too, just so you know. So I will edit that. But yeah, it's she's your fiance. What's her name? Yeah. So her name is Seneca Skunk. And we just call her Sen. I'll have to tag you in some pictures or show you some pictures of her. But she is definitely gorgeous. She Everybody always show pictures to, yep, Kansas, you married up. And I'm like, yep, <laughs> I did. I definitely Cute. I love that. I'm so proud of you. I just want you to know that is an amazing, this story has made me cry my little eyes out because I hear you. It's so powerful to say you never have to feel that way again and to teach people that they never have to feel that way and to, that they can help their family heal from those wounds if they've had to feel that way before and then that it's totally okay to not be okay and it's also okay to cry your little eyes out all the time if you need to <laughs> so I appreciate your story and I'm very proud of you and very grateful for you sharing your story I believe that fashion is so much more than just a piece of clothing right it's about your confidence level it's about the way that you carry yourself it's about the way you see yourself and I know that this podcast is going to help a lot of people see themselves in a different light so thanks for sharing with me today is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with Kansas Yes, with modeling and indigenous fashion, I'm grateful for that platform. I'm grateful for being here with you today to share a little bit. I did actually want to throw out, I was going to put it on before the podcast started, but I wanted to point out my Kansas shirt by Rebecca Jarvie. If you guys want to check her out on Facebook or Instagram, just look her up at Rebecca Jarvie. She has some amazing clothing lines. One thing that you said and I want to touch on is step in, don't be afraid to step into your power. Don't be afraid to turn that pain of yours into power. 
and don't be afraid to follow your dreams despite what anybody says. For me, I never thought in a million years that I would be modeling anywhere, any place. I never thought I'd be given half the opportunities that I have, but being a good person, putting out that goodness, it comes back to you. And these are the ways that I'm rewarded. Fashion is a way for me to express myself and to really feel like a superhero in that 15 seconds that I get to walk the runway. And the biggest thing about fashion that I love is, and I'm going to use a Rebecca Yarvey thing here, is love and fashion. There's so many different aspects about it. People love themselves, which is why they love fashion, because fashion is an expression. And I love that I'm able to do that with my family, my fiance and my daughter. And I'm able to be able to create friendships that are going to last forever, such as yourself, Ashley, and the different people that I've been able to encounter throughout this journey. So thank you. And I appreciate you. Oh, I'm so grateful. Thanks for being on today. This is Ashley and we are on Indigenous Fashion, the podcast. Today we've had Kansas Middletent on. If you loved what you heard today, go and subscribe to this podcast. You can also hear the Rebecca Jarvie podcast on the episode of Indigenous Fashion coming. Thanks for listening.